Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I am the English guy. Isn't that niche? And joined, as always, by my good friends, Chris and Alf. Evening, gentlemen. How are we? Good. Doing good. Where are you? Uh, I am in Edinburgh, and I will tell you about that in a second. But let me just tell you about what's coming up in the show this week. We will look at the depth chart, the first Dolphins depth chart released. Uh, Coach Gay seemingly having a bit of fun with everybody. uh, As he says, he's doing it so he can be a bit of a shithead, essentially, is what he said. (laughs) Uh, We will look at some of the scrimmage. We will look at the scrimmage practice from last week. Uh, We will preview Thursday night's first game of the season against the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the pre-Jamis sit-on-the-bench-because-you're-a-douchebag four-game suspension. And Shirley Druckmann, I'm sure, will have sent us at least 300 questions for us to answer before we got there. (laughs) But... I'm in Edinburgh for the world-famous Fringe Comedy Festival, which is essentially uh, a, what's the word, a sort of cornucopia. There you go. A cornucopia of comedy and theatre and where Edinburgh just essentially, people from all around the world descend on Edinburgh, the wonderful Scottish city of Edinburgh, um, for this festival. Um, And I am scouting for talent. Uh, So going to see sort of six or seven different comedy shows per day, some of which are very good, some of which are okay, and quite frankly, some of which are fucking toilet. Um, Do you measure their their 40 time or uh, get their vertical? No, pretty much not, unfortunately. And you almost have to sort of. I found myself watching, and I won't. I won't give the name away of the, the person because obviously this is their livelihood. Mm-hmm. But um, Masool, if you're listening, your show is shit, buddy. Um, <laughs> I was. I was sat there, and there were seven people in this in this club in this uh, place where he was doing his stand up, which for a start is an absolute ball ache uh, for him. Um, and at one point, I was so distracted by how bad it was, I was suddenly discovered in my head that I'd forgotten to bring my shorts and therefore couldn't go to the gym tomorrow morning. I was really pissed off. And then I was thinking to myself, where can I get shorts from tomorrow morning? And whilst I was doing that, he actually asked me a question. And you know, <laughs> and you know when you look up and you're supposed to be in a conversation, be it with a girlfriend or wife or family member, and you're pretending to pay attention, but you haven't heard a fucking thing they're saying. And all of a sudden, you're like, I literally no idea what they're talking about, but I'll try and just kind of wangle my way through it by kind of fair means or foul. And uh, I didn't have a clue. I was exposed as a charlatan, a man <laughs> thinking about where he get a pair of Nike shorts from uh, in Edinburgh Town Centre, uh, Edinburgh City Centre on a Thursday morning. And I was exposed by the poor comedian. But that's where I am. I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And it couldn't have been a good comedian either. Like to be exposed by like a good comedian that made it funny, you know, that would be yeah. one thing. Oh, I mean, I've seen I've seen good, like top of the line comedians today. Are really, really well known, really, really good comedians over here. And you know, you wouldn't want to mess with, you know, you wouldn't want to get involved in a bit of heckling, or you wouldn't want to sort of not pay attention and then get exposed by them because you would be made to look very foolish. Okay, but, now let me ask you a question: is, it. is Benny Hill there? Benny Hill's dead, buddy. I mean, Benny Hill about 20 years ago. Are you kidding? He's dead? Of course I'm not. Oh, my God. The American That's terrible news. With, the American obsession with Benny Hill as a comedy force is 
bizarre because you know bizarre what's bizarre yeah. about that the guy's great that was the greatest he's, thing ever him and that little, mean, the little old man that used to pat on the top of the head that's great you, yeah you're you're that, misconception of english comedy your misconception of english comedy frightens me alf i've got to say <laughs> but if it makes me laugh isn't that good comedy comedy subjective though right if it makes you laugh it can also be kind of scary yeah but what makes you, you know, we could go and watch three different comedy shows and I could hate one and you two would love it. I could love the next one and Chris would think it was okay and you'd hate it. And then the third one, Chris might love it and we would both hate it. And that's just the nature of comedy, surely, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also the nature of football, by the way. It's the nature yeah. of everything, really, isn't it? You know, film, arts, music, whatever. I mean, it's that's also the nature of, of dolphin beat writers. <laughs> I'm not touching that. I've got to be in a um I've got to be in a couple of press boxes with him this year. I'm not going anywhere near that. So you know, but hey, I'm not Jordan Phillips, right? No. <laughs> anyway, right. Enough about the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. Here's a bit of an advert. Do you want to come and watch Brock Osweiler throw interceptions for the Dolphins? We've got an opportunity for you. We're having our first ever five reason sports network watch party it's for the dolphins second preseason game the dolphins will be up in carolina we will be at the texas roadhouse in miramar that's right off of i-75 on miramar parkway convenient to all of south florida our hosts will start getting there around 6 30 7 o'clock the game is 7 30 so come hang out with us there's no charge at the door nothing like that we're going to have the back bar we'll have drink specials we'll have food specials we'll have giveaways come to the texas roadhouse again it's Friday, August 17th, Dolphins' second preseason game. See you there. And, yeah, that's the, the Texas Roadhouse. I will be there. So you can report, you know, you can report back to, to Shuli Dukeman and Paul DeAnger <laughs> and, and tell them exactly how many beers I drank as I stared at our second teamers against the Carolina Panthers. That's next Friday at the Texas Roadhouse in Miramar. And I just I, want to tease this, but I'm I'm – I'm supposed to, or at least we're we're thinking of coordinating doing the Texas Roadhouse in Tampa, Florida as well. Yes. Uh, as there is one by me, and I might be, you know, there for the game as well. And those of us <laughs> Dolphin fans in Tampa, maybe we can go hang out and watch the game up there. Yeah, we're I expecting will... a gigantic crowd in Miramar, and Chris will be all alone in the one in Tampa. That's right. He yeah. will not be as lonely as I will be at the one in London. <laughs> well that should be you know well that's gonna be a lot of fun we're gonna have some prizes we're gonna have some giveaways like i said you watch me you know drink beer and stare at a screen if you do know me from the show don't ask me to do the podcast you know you can ask me questions you can watch the game with me i might even buy you a beer chris listen to billy big bollocks here you can you can ask me questions <laughs> you ask me. who are you and you're, and what are they the... going to ask you to do the podcast like oh do the alf voice what <laughs> yeah go on do the voice do the funny voice mr yeah, Q. Do... do the funny voice talk, yeah. talk about talk about yeah. what you're going to bet on exactly talk about that dildo that you smuggled across the board <laughs> yeah well this was an eventful week guys and among those events was this depth chart that was released now i I got into it with Chris Kaufman earlier today. Who's he? That. Yeah, exactly. And I look at this depth chart, and I look at the tight end position, and I see that Mike Kosecki is fifth. Now explain to me, Chris, why I shouldn't print this out and use this as emergency toilet paper. Because they do this every year. If you've been following the Dolphins for a long time, then you – I mean, this – every single coach that I've ever seen – 
has done the same thing with rookies. They always put them at the back of the line, always. And if you look at this depth chart, one thing that you will notice is that with one conspicuous exception, everywhere that a rookie is listed, you know, every position that a rookie is listed, he's at the back of the line, you know, with with other rookies. And that's the case with everybody except the number 11 overall pick, Minka Fitzpatrick, who, you know, somehow made it in front of Walt Aikens, you know, <laughs> you know as if as if that's anything to to talk about. So yeah, he he's in front of Walt Aikens, but everybody else is just at the back. That's just the way it is. And if you know that and you understand that and you know what you're going to see in that first depth chart, then yeah, you can you can set that aside and look and see if there's anything else to to notice and and see if, you know, anything significant or or revelational is in there. Well, before we get to Simon, let me further deconstruct this. Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore as co-starters? Like, what's that about? And then you go further down, and in base, they have Bobby McCain starting. Okay, that's fine. But Charles Harris at right end after Robert Quinn, and then Andre Branch is third team behind William Hayes, making a billion dollars a year. Like, uh, (laughs) does anybody think that this resembles in the slightest bit what we're going to see in a few weeks? No. I mean, I do. Do you? I do. I th- I think I really do. I think that that defensive end order that you just that you just named just now mm-hmm. is exactly what it is and the way it's going to be on game one, week one of the season. So you really? think Harris? So you think Harris starts over uh, over um, Quinn? Wait, wait. Jar- Charles Harris was listed number two behind Quinn. Yes. Oh, but yeah. Andre, what... yeah but Audrey Branch was listed third, third string. And so that's wait, and that's correct. That's three. where he's going to be. Because William Hayes is going to come in on early downs in place of Cameron Wake when they need some run stop help. So and then he's also and then he's also going to come in on pass rush downs as a defensive tackle. So where was Wake listed? Wake was listed at first string left end, and that's that's exactly what he's going to be. And you know he'll come off some of those some of those rundowns in favor of William Hayes when they need a little a little juice in in the run defense. And I, I've been saying, I said this at the at the very start. You know, Charles Harris has a history at right end in college and in the pros. That's exactly where he's going to be in that second wave at right end. That Andre Branch, you know, he had been playing right end for Miami for a couple of years now, but he also has a history at left end. I, I, I said this a couple of podcasts ago that he and he's actually performed even better at left end. So he can move. He has the ability to move at left end. Sure enough, that's exactly where they put him. They put him at left end, except he's got to be behind William Hayes because William Hayes is going to be the guy that comes in and gives them a little shot in the arm in the run defense when they need it. Jordan Phillips and Devon Godshaw as co-starters, also along Akeem Spence, who's considered a starter. So they have three starting defensive tackles. Also exactly where I said they would be. I mean, Akeem isn't the starter. Akeem, Akeem Spence is starting. Akeem Spence is going to be the starter alongside either Devon Godshaw or Jordan Phillips. You know why? Because those two play the same position. They play on the same side. That's where they're most effective. That's why they're an either or. So one guy is going to be in there with Akeem Spence as the starter, and then he's going to sub out You know, when they come into the second wave. I'll, they're going I'll to sub out the other guy will come in, I'll and t- then it'll be, you know, 
Gabe Wright or Benton Taylor or something like that. Instead Keith of Spence. Spence will not be starting after week one. There you go. You can take that. Really? You don't think he's going to work out? I think he'll work out as a rotational backup. He's yeah. not a starter. He's not a starting quality player. He's not a starter. Absolutely not. And I think it, it, Vincent Taylor will, st- will end up starting over him. I don't think really? Spence is. A, I don't think Spence is good enough to start as a, a as a defensive tackle in, in this team. I, I absolutely don't. Uh, Simon, I don't know if you got my report on Thursday from camp, but d- your boy David Steinmetz mm. almost ended a King Spence's career. I know. <laughs> but, and I just I just finished him off there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a pretty violent. You collision. finished off what was left. Pretty yeah. pretty violent collision. And before we move on on, on this depth chart business, uh, second team quarterback, which is kind of important. They had David Fales mm-hmm. and Brock Osweiler. Like this depth chart seems like it doesn't want to offend anybody. Well, I mean that's it's still they still haven't shaken that out. Who's who's won between David Fales and Brock Osweiler? I think. And and that's what and you asked you mentioned this before with Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake. I mean this is this is Adam Gase. They sat in a room and they decided all these positions on the depth chart and they did it for a reason. I mean they're they're not just throwing. I know he said that he did it just to just be an asshole. He was kind of being glib, mm-hmm. but you know he did that for a reason because they're both going to play. They're but, both going to play a whole lot. That's Adam Gase's style now. He's not in for this Jay Ajayi bell cow crap anymore. He said it. He mm-hmm. said it explicitly that he's not in for that anymore. He's going to mix Kenyon Drake with Damian Williams, or now in this case, Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. And if, that's the way he's going to do it. If Kenyon's ripping it up, as he did the back end of last season, and Frank is running to less than his 3.7 yards a carry, let's say he's 3. Then I don't see any, I don't see any way he can continue to do it. Otherwise, he's just going to look foolish. And it's going to go back to what we've talked about in that Gaze has struggled with situational football where he talks about, oh, I didn't get the chance to get so-and-so in the game, and I wish I'd got so Well, here's your opportunity. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and as much as we laugh about him talking about being glib about saying um, I was being a bit of an arsehole, he also said that guys who get too caught up on looking at the depth chart are failing. I mean, there's a reason why Mike Jasicki is number five, and it's not because Mike Jasicki is anything other than the starter on day one, which he will be. I mean... uh, Well, the reason he's number five is he's a rookie. I mean, the rookies go on the back. Of course, but ultimately he's going to start. So then, what's the, if rookie's going to the back, what's the point in having a depth chart in the first place? Because we all know that just think he's going to start. So why don't you just fucking put him first from the start? Get it go. It's just, it's just stupid. It's because boring. it's the first. Because it's the first. Hey, listen. I mean, that, I, obviously there are a lot of things going on, but that doesn't mean that there aren't there aren't real things to read into this. I mean, when you <laughs> see Kenyon Drake, I I agree with you about what Adam Gase is likely to do. At, you know, shoot himself in the foot with respect to Kenyon Drake and uh, and Frank Gore, but that's exactly what he did a year ago. You remember when when Kenyon Drake, you know, went off, you know, the Denver game and mm-hmm. and really had a, a stretch of games that uh, that he was just dominant, unbelievably dominant. Well, what happened after that? When Damian Williams got got back healthy, he went back into a into a ride share with uh, with Kenyon Drake. Look at his snaps. Look at his touches. In the final games of the year, Kenyon Drake was not used as a bell cow. He went right back to using him the same way that he did with Damian Williams as soon as they traded Jay Ajayi. So I think Adam Gase is, I think he's had it. He has had it with the idea of having things dictated to him. He's going to do it his way or no way at all. And one of the things that he wants to do is rotate these backs and use them 
in the ways that he thinks that they need to be used, you know, the situations and the, the kinds of plays and stuff like that, that he's going to. And so a lot of people are going to complain. A lot of people are going to complain about the way he's using his personnel, but I don't think he gives a shit. In. And, and will, so he will be run out of town if Kenyon is ripping it up and then he's, he's negating his carries because he feels like he needs to get Frank Gore in the game. I mean, that's just not how you coach. It's football. exactly what he did last year though. But, uh, and look what happened last year. Well, right, but <laughs> it's what he did. I think that's what's going to happen. You know, we finished six and ten, and you know, we struggled the entire season. I mean, to me, it's ludicrous to think that if somebody's running wild, then you're just going to take him out of the game because you've already got this predisposed idea that you need to get the the other guy a certain amount of carries. I mean, go with the it's the NFL. Go with the hot hand. What's the point in bringing somebody in, taking the emphasis away? You know, the whole thing happened with Damian Williams last year when Drake was running wild, and all of a sudden Damian Williams comes in and the offense fucking slows down. I don't, I don't, I didn't get it then. I don't get it now, and I won't get it when we're struggling and we're taking the kid out who's already had 82 yards on eight carries and right. scored two touchdowns to get Frank. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm disagreeing with the conceit that this is somehow a thing because it shouldn't be a thing. No, we, I actually agree with you on this. I th- yeah. I th- I, I'm right with you. I just think that that's what he's going to do. I agree with yeah. you. I think that the purpose that Frank Gore serves on this team is that he's a pro. You know, he's a, he's a real professional. He does everything correctly. And it's to keep Kenyon Drake from falling apart by week 10. Mm, but, I mean, that, if, if we're finishing... That's the only reason for Frank Gore to be on this team. If we're finishing games where Drake gets 10 carries, Gore gets 10 carries, and Drake has 80 yards and Gore has 23 yards, we're doing it wrong. Yes, we are. And, also, and I think there's going to be a lot of games like that. Well, I more, hope not. more fool us <laughs> there. Because we deserve to finish 6-10 and 10 if that's how it plays out. With all the greatest respect to Frank Gore, who's a you know Hall of Fame running back. But that's, you know... And look... If we don't trust Kenyon's body by now, we're never going to trust it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we've got to, yeah. we've got to, at some point, we've got to get past the fact that he's got to, he's got to do it on a week to week basis. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're fucking ourselves. And to be fair, I think some of the injury stuff with Kenyon is a little bit overblown. I mean, yeah. it's not like he missed a ton of time in Alabama, and he certainly hasn't missed a ton of time with Miami. Mm. So, mm. agree, a hundred percent. Okay, we're done arguing about this depth chart, which some people want to throw away. Some people, you know, don't. (laughs) But we did have a week of practice, and we also had a scrimmage. And here at three yards per carry, we give you actual updates from the practices live because Mm -hmm. Alf Arteaga got credentialed, and he is able to attend all the practices. So he, even the ones in the bubble. So he he will give us live updates on Twitter. You can follow at three yards per carry. But right now, right here, as we're speaking, you get to hear Alf explain in his own words from his own eyes, his own observations, what he saw in practice. And I think that's really exciting. So first off, we had a practice week, but we had a scrimmage. And that was the thing everybody was looking for. I think maybe putting some people put a little bit too much on the scrimmage, and so they're a little bit disappointed, and they're always going to be disappointed. But, Alf, what were your top takeaways from that scrimmage? You were there, so I want to know. My top takeaways are that Mike Gusecki is going to play a ton, okay? I saw him on Thursday, Friday, then the scrimmage. Every single... I don't know. He's fifth string. Yeah, I know. I, I understand that. I'm looking at that depth chart, and I'm like, okay, what I saw Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is, you know, it's a, it's a mirage. He played every single snap. In 11 personnel. 
<laughs> on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And, and that's him- saying something. That's only that's only one tight end. Yes. So he's not there as like the second tech on tight end and an 11 personnel. He's the guy. Yeah. The only thing that changed as far as tight ends was who was his partner in 12 personnel. And it seemed like on Thursday when Gray was a little bit nicked up, you should say, because he was nursing some type of hammy or something. I don't know what it was, but he was right next to me getting taped up and fixing his Mm -hmm. gear. Uh, That's the only thing that changed. And then you saw Smith. You saw a little bit of Derby, but it was mostly Smith. Along with Gasecki in twelve I personnel, was, I think it was Smith when they go to double tight ends the whole time. It was Smith and Gasecki, I think, because mm-hmm. I, I, I think Smith has quietly had a good camp. He's an excellent blocker, and as Tannehill said last week, he's been far better than advertised in the passing game. And I think uh, I, I think it'll be the, they'll run with the two kids, even though they're fifty eighth and one hundred ninety third on the depth chart. So you know, yeah. Although I would that'll say that'll be I, that'll be an interesting breakdown actually because Marquise Gray, I mean, there's some legitimate, I mean, there's some legitimate reasons to want to favor Marquise Gray yeah, in some yeah, of these I'm, situations just because of his versatility. Yeah. Uh, if you if you have Marquise Gray, you can use him as the F, and then you can get Gesicki in as the Y, or you can use you know Marquise Gray as a more traditional Y and split Gesicki out wide or have him in the slot. Uh, you can also use Marquise Gray in, as a fullback. So basically, his versatility could match up with Gesicki's versatility. And we know that Gesicki is, you know, sort of like wide receiver, tight end, um, hybrid almost, and and could also be used as a Y over the deep middle, maybe. But you know, his blocking might be a little suspect. Some people believe. Well, on Friday, uh, they went through what you would call more of a walkthrough. They seemed to be running through plays. There wasn't much contact. And mm-hmm. Gray took all of the snaps in 12 personnel with Gasecki. And then the scrimmage came, and there he was again. In the four plays that they ran on first team with in 12 personnel, it was Gray and Gasecki again. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other takeaway is that the offense seems to have, like, I would say a rhythm. And I don't know if Adam Gibbs was standing right next to me calling plays, but... I don't know if he was going to get tricky with with Burke, but he seems to have a certain rhythm already. Mm. And that rhythm is that Gasecki is almost always in motion in 11 personnel. He's often Mm. in motion in 12 personnel. And they seem to line him up right. And Mm. he's either end line left, end line right, or slot right, or out wide right. And he seems to be getting schemed open a ton especially in practice if he's not a focus i know i don't know what else is and uh, another tendency i did see is they do tend to go a lot of 11 personnel in the red zone and i don't know what they're trying to do there but it seems to be you know i charted the plays on thursday when they were they were hitting and it was five trips to the red zone and first down inside of the 20 on all five trips was 11 personnel with the same alignment and the same play, which was like a little arrow cut for, for Kenyon Drake out of the backfield. Now, I don't know huh. if he's just being you know predictable and just trying to you know drill something into them, or maybe he was running off of a script, and he wanted them to keep running the same script over and over again, but he seems to know what he wants to do because he keeps doing a lot of it in camp so far. I'm speaking of Gates, of course. Simon, uh I want to ask you this because a lot was made of this. Um, You know, the scrimmage, I guess, was full of a lot of a lot of pre-snap penalties. 
and mm-hmm. flags all over the place. And I, I recognize it's early, but are, are we sounding a little, a, even a little bit of an alarm bell here about how many how many penalties and procedural stuff is things are going on? Uh, considering the history, and they've I had think, some. I think so, and I think it's frustrating. And I mean, Gay seemed frustrated in the press conference afterwards, and uh, you know, but at some point, because we, we've discussed this ad infinitum. These are his guys now. It's his team. He's got what he wants. He's got rid of the miscreants and everything. And ultimately, the onus of responsibility comes on his shoulders for these sorts of things. But at some point, and I don't want to be—I don't want to come across as the gay defender all the time and all the time and all the time. But at some point, the players have to take some responsibility for these things, don't they? I mean, it—it's it, fairly—it's fairly cognizant in terms of doing your job properly that you listen to. You know, instructions, you know what a snap count is, you know where you're supposed to be at a particular point. I, I don't kind of understand why it's happening. I mean, I listened to an Aaron Rodgers press conference yesterday where he essentially called out the rookie wide receivers, Equinemius, St. Brown, a couple of the other guys, for not really concentrating, not really knowing where they're supposed to be lined up, not really. And, and you don't really get, you know, we had the thing last year with Gaze calling out players, and although he didn't call them out by name, we knew who he was talking about. But I don't know what. It's going to take for people to, because we were terrible at it last year and it cost us yardage and it put us in second and longs and first and 15s and those sorts of things, which are a difficult hole to get out of. It's, they are, especially when you didn't have 17. You know, hopefully it'll be easier this year, but you, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you want, we want to be in second and fours and second and threes, not, you know, yeah. second nines and second and 13s because some fucking idiot can't line up in the right place or somebody's false started because they thought a snap count was two instead of four and all these sorts of things these are basic basic errors that i don't understand why why it's happening especially as now we've seemed to have you know in inverted commas got rid of the bad guys now we've got the wilsons and the amandolas that we've we've heard all spring and and some of these are smart guys these are heady football players they know well uh, fucking act like it and I'm not I'm not singling those two out but you know let's just step up to the plate and realize that we we all go on four and I go in motion here to here and I do that at this particular point and, and, and those sorts of things because ultimately pre-snap penalties are going to put us in situations that are going to make us chasing the game as we always are and it's going to bring pressure onto the head coach in terms of his job and he will ultimately lose his job if we do not win games and you know, these are the sorts of negatives that build up and we've got to straighten this shit out because otherwise we'll be in holes, in games, chasing games. Ryan will be going to the air. They'll be taking Drake out of the running. We're training 14 nothing. You know, Laramie's given us a 50, first and 15, and here we go again. And we can't get into that mentality, that rut, that narrative that we seem to have found ourselves in over the last few years. Alf, are they afraid to piss each other off, like hold each other to a high standard and risk pissing each other off by really calling each other out because there's a lot being made about the camaraderie this year and how they all hang out together. They're all friends. They're all, you know, everything like that. And Gase, and we, we know him as to be sort of a player's coach. And uh, are they afraid to piss each other off and, and hold each other to the highest standard possible? Well, I noticed a lot of communication in on the field on Thursday and Friday. And it's usually, you know, within the units with the coaches and, you know, coaches weren't afraid to tell people that they were half-assing it and weren't, you know, particularly giving out maximum effort or taking advantage of the rep that was in front of them. But if we go back to that scrimmage, there was a sequence that if it gets completed, the whole narrative of that entire scrimmage gets thrown mm-hmm. out the window. 
And I'll give it to you right here because I have the, the play-by-play in front of me. Okay? It's first down, and they're in 12 personnel with Gasecki at fullback. Play action, 10 hill runs for 15 yards. Okay? Now they're near their own 40. Drake, sweep right for two yards. Incomplete pass. Then they go empty backfield. A short hitch to the right. Amendola gets eight yards. Another first down. Now they're near midfield. Okay, then they go 11 personnel. Tannehill hits Amendola for 16 yards on the left sideline. Okay, run for one yard, run for three yards. And then on third, and I believe, let me see, I have it at 37. Tannehill throws what can only be described as a majestic seam pass to Amendola right in between TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones. And that play just missed having a 38-yard touchdown by a foot, foot and a half. If that play gets completed, everybody talks about, wow, what a, what a drive that was. Instead, it ended on a field goal on the next play. So, you know, what people are remembering, and they should remember it, is that right after that first team was done, and that first team seemed to always end on a, on a sour note, that was like the highlight of the, of the scrimmage. That second team was bad, and not only was oh, it yeah. bad, but then the third team came out there and absolutely smashed our third team defense. You know, uh, it looked really, really bad, and there was a lot of penalties. It was sloppy, poor tackling. You know, uh, there was one guy that actually stood out because he was actually running around hitting people, and that's Case and Collins. Like he has a look. Like we're gonna watch him, I guess, tomorrow because it's you know it's the first preseason game. So I'd be interested to see see him play because he, he looks like a physical player. He looked like a guy that was putting out effort, really wanted to make an impression, and he was out there hitting people, uninterested and dispirited, really. Kaysen, if uh, for those that aren't really familiar with him in college, he's I mean, if you look at him, he's a guy with a huge, huge wingspan. I mean, he has he has a great frame, a really wide frame, uh, and he's built for he's built for hitting. I mean, he's built for tough. Um, so the problem is that he he was used a lot at um, at North Carolina in some situations as like sort of a pass coverage linebacker, and you almost wondered why they even bothered to do, do that because he doesn't have a feel for pass coverage at all. He's not very fast at all, and he struggled with that. But the thing that I thought would make a difference and make it hard for him to make the roster is that he seemed like, you know, mentally he just was his awareness of where the football is and reading his keys was not really all that sharp in college. And so I wondered if if he would have a hard time. The thing about that is, you know, one day you wake up and all of a sudden it is good. And so then you're like, "Oh, well, you know, this guy's a big physical hitter and mm-hmm. and he's just he's just making plays out there so maybe he does maybe he does actually do something I, I think it's interesting but you would say that you know the narrative that takes hold which is failure mm-hmm. uh, in that scrimmage um they hit that one play and then there's no more narrative about about failure there's no more narrative about the pre-snap penalties are you are you not worried about about all those penalties and and sloppy mistakes i think it's early and if we're we're still seeing it by week two of the preseason, then that's something that we got to start worrying about, especially on the offensive line, because there's no reason. There was there was 5,000 people out there at that scrimmage. There's no reason why you should be false starting and killing drives before they even start for no no apparent reason. And, and we're not talking about, you know, guys that, you know, are going to be bagging groceries in three weeks. We're talking about Ted Larson had a, a false start 
Isaac Aziata had a false start. Sam Young had a false start. Okay, let me see who else. I have here Larry Matunzel with a false start. So that, that's four guys. Okay, so yeah, that's that. That wasn't good. It wasn't a good look. It was semi embarrassing, I would say, especially past the the first team. Yeah, I think it's it's something to be concerned about if it continues. You know, the only way you can excuse it is by saying yes. If that pass gets hit, nobody cares. But it didn't get hit. We do have results, and the results are that that was an incomplete pass that ended with a field goal, and that's what the offense produced in three drives. They produced a field goal. The first team offense produced one field goal, a bunch of yards, and a bunch of penalties, and that's what stalled out three drives against the first team defense. And the first team defense really didn't do much, you know, to to write home about. You know, you had some flashes. You had Gasecki pick up two blitzes. That's another thing that which I, I found really, really interesting was that uh, Burke seemed to be competing with Gase in that scrimmage. Mm. He kept sending blitzes Gasecki's way. <laughs> and what I found interesting is that Gasecki did pick up two blitzes pretty well. There was another time where Robert Quinn came around the corner on Gasecki, and I'm not sure if Gasecki just missed the block or if Gasecki was thinking about releasing but Robert Quinn, if it was live action, I think would have murdered and ended Ryan Tannehill's career because he <laughs> flew off that corner fast. And Tannehill got to the point where Tannehill saw him and was like, whoa, what was that? Like Tannehill, you could see, actually got jittery like, this guy's going to hit me. And he didn't hit him, but the referee did call a sack. But so. you don't, you don't, you certainly don't hear about, you know, when you're keeping track on tr- Twitter and seeing the observers, you certainly don't hear about the snaps when. Gesicki does pick up a blitz. Right. Uh, you only hear about the ones where he doesn't pick it up, and and you know everybody gets concerned about it. And Simon, are you concerned about that? I mean, that does it does is Gesicki even going to stay in the block at all? I mean, what 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 do you make of that? I mean, I, I I think it's natural for the writers that cover the team to say that you know because given his reputation at Penn State, as we all know, I think it's uh you know. It, it, it's the easy thing to do to say, yep, you know, he blew this and Minka blew past him and would have, but actually I, I, I think probably his, his blocking overall seems to have been significantly better than we thought it would be. It's still going to be a work in progress. And look, let's not be, let's not be about the bush. He's going to catch a shitload of passes. He's going to score a load of touchdowns in the red zone. And ultimately we're not really going to remember what he does as a blocker because he's probably <laughs> same block very often. And that's probably what Durham Smythe slash Smith will be doing more of. I, I, I kind of think we overthink it. We overthink it. We overthink it. And the dude turns up with 75 catches and 10 touchdowns and makes the pro ball. And we're like, wow, he's fucking brilliant. And nobody gives a shit about the blocking. And that's absolutely fine. So I now, think that's yeah, Let's not turn the show into, into the, the Mike Kaseki show, but you know, well, we would be amiss to, to not mention this Thursday and Friday in practice. Whenever they do goal line drills, it's a snuff film. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's borderline embarrassing because every play ends up the same way. I don't care who it is, whether it's Minka Fitzpatrick, whether it's Rashad Jones, whether it's Bobby McCain for that one play, which I I looked at him and I'm like, okay, that's not going to end well. It always ends up the same way when Mike Kosecki standing in the end zone with the football. And the defender on the floor. And he's on the floor because he's being completely overwhelmed. Especially on on Friday, Rashad Jones seemed to get it in his head that he wanted to challenge the rookie. And he wanted to show the rookie a little bit of physical play. And he kept calling for him on the goal line. 
on one-on-one drills. Now, a one-on-one drill, if you're, if you're a really good athlete, you should win all of them. But you shouldn't win 100% of them. Mike Gusecki wins 100% of them, which is uncanny. But he does. He puts a clown nose on Rashad Jones every single time that he lines up across from him. So, And it's every route. It's a fade. It's a back shoulder throw. It's an out. It's a slant. It's anything. Catches all of it. So either, either they're bad, which they're not, or Gusecki is pretty damn good. Now, we're going to have some live action soon, so he's going to have something to prove. But it looks good so far. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> um, you're going to get me all, like, you know, worked up. Uh, no, one thing that I've been paying attention to in these practices and, you know, sort of my issue here is the corner position opposite Xavier. First off, it's, it's clear, and we talked about this on the last podcast, even before he had that monstrous three interception day that everybody talked about Xavier Howard we think that he could end up the best player on the defense when mm-hmm. by the time the year is done I mean and Simon said that um we both we all we all said that they should get him locked up the sooner the better uh he could be a 15 million dollar a year guy if they don't get him locked up in time uh, we all have a lot of faith in Xavier Howard, but the guy opposite him, I don't think that this is going the way that they wanted it to. And I no. think this has actually been a position that Adam Gase has signaled concern about for a couple of months now. And I know, you know, Armando Saguero of the uh, Miami Herald, he has his sources inside the team and you know, he tends to, he tends to side with what his sources are telling him. He's been signaling uh, alarm on that position for a while as well. And then you see the due diligence that they did uh, with the, the supplemental draft. You know, forget the regular draft. The supplemental draft with Sam Beal and uh, Adonis Alexander coming out of Virginia Tech. They did a lot of due diligence on those guys, and they thought about sending, uh, sending a bid for those guys. And I think all of it kind of points to just a little bit of discomfort about this competition that they wanted to have between Cordrea Tankersley and Tony Lippett. And as camp has gone, I think Lippett has been almost a complete dud so far. And I'm not going to say it's physical necessarily, but, you know, maybe mentally he's not all the way back uh, from from the injury that he had. And this, this is why it generally takes two years from a major injury. And he's, is, also, finding some, he's also finding some knick-knack injuries. Yeah. So far, well, yeah. that's that's all that that's also going to be a concern because if you're favoring, if you're favoring something and you're you're trying to compensate for it, then you then you get other little nicks. That's been that's been concerning. Cordrea Tankersley, I think that they wanted him to step up, and I don't get the sense that he is at all because Tory McTire was not supposed to be in this, and yet he's leading it. Mm-hmm. And so you know when you see Tory McTire, listen, I, I like Tory McTire. I said. I did a patron shot on him. I, you know, I pointed out what he, the good things he did last preseason and, and against the Kansas City Chiefs. I do like him. He's got the speed and the, the length to to actually play in this league. But if Torrey McTire is is leading, is your leading guy all of a sudden, then you've got to have some concerns. And where this takes me back to is actually Bobby McCain. And we go back to the depth chart. They listed a base defense in that depth chart three linebackers four defensive backs two of them corners and the corner opposite Xavier Howard was not Torrey McTire not Cordrea Tankersley not Tony Lippett it wasn't 
Tory McTire or, you know, Cordrea Tankersley playing games like that. It was Bobby McCain. And I don't think that's coincidental. I think that he is actually the one in the lead for that job in base because he played it last year. That's what some people don't necessarily remember or realize. About 20% of the snaps when they were in base, Bobby McCain was the other corner uh, uh, opposite Xavier Howard or whoever, whoever was on the other side playing on the perimeter. And on those snaps, I mean, I talked about this a long time ago, the the weaknesses of the Dolphins' defense last year. In base defense, one of the weaknesses was against the pass. Uh, they were 26th in the league in giving up yards per pass attempt. Well, on the plays that Bobby McCain was in on base, they did not have a weakness against the pass. They ranked in the upper half of the league in terms of their pass efficiency. And they also ranked in the top 10 and run and run defense out of base. So, I mean, you're looking at all of the base defenses around the league. You're not, you're not comparing apples to oranges here. So Bobby McCain in the base defense could actually be a good thing if they give it a chance. And you look at his coverage numbers, you know, you can do it on pro football focus and stuff. You weed out the slot performance. You can get the perimeter stuff. His yards per target out of peri- or on the perimeter was actually it ranks in like the top fourteen percent among corners last year. So this is a guy people generally kind of misunderstand his athleticism. Uh, he is not a slow guy at all. If you look at the forties, the forty he ran at his pro day, the forty he ran at the the combine. Um, He's not a slow guy. Uh, he, he has extraordinary agility, and you look at his jump metrics and his cone drill was, I believe his cone drill was insane, something like 6.6. Um, you know, I think that he's understood, misunderstood as an athlete, and he could be the base guy. He could be the guy that's opposite Xavier Howard in base and may, in fact, because Tory McTire has taken the lead in that you know, competition, he may be already that guy. He may be mm-hmm. the default winner of that competition. Now, when they go to nickel, when they go to nickel and they've got five defensive backs on the field, or, or if they got five, uh, three corners on the field, then Bobby's going back inside, right? Bobby McCain is going back inside just like Chris Harris does mm-hmm. in Denver. And then somebody else has to come on the outside. That's going to be Tory McTire or that's going to be Cordrea Tankersley. Um, I think Tony Lippett is kind of out of it at this point. But, you know, that's so that competition is still going for nickel. But I think the base defense, you know, is almost we're almost to the point of, you know, kind of deciding we got to see it in games. We got to see it in in preseason games, obviously. But the the point is that they know what they have from McCain because they've seen it. They've they've had him there for years and he has played the outside. He has played in base for them. They're they're trying to figure out what they have in Torrey McTire and Cordrea Tankersley. And so those guys might only be fighting for the nickel job at this point, the nickel perimeter job at this point. Mm. And, and that's that's kind of what I'm getting from this practice week. Nice one, Chris. That kind of fills us in completely on the, uh, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I don't think Alf does either. I will be intrigued given, it will be intriguing to see. I, I certainly agree with you that I think Tankersley has certainly not trained on. We shall see how it plays out. Look, Dolphins get underway in preseason action against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 24 hours or so's time. So coming up in a sec, we will talk about that game. But first, listen to these guys. 
Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is O.J. McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. O.J., tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah, Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth, we know Lizzo with his clothes off. <laughs> so make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. This is the Five Reasons Sports Network. Sports by Miami, for Miami, on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network, posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Miami Heat Beat. Are we a Tyler Johnson away? Are we a Hassan? I can't even do that to you. I'm sorry. Breaking news. The Cavs are in shambles. <laughs> If you want to get involved as a sponsor or contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter and be sure to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne host of the fantasy on five podcast, part of the five reasons sports network, letting you know that your fantasy football needs are covered this season. My co-host David Ganos and I will be leading you hand in hand through your draft and right up to championship Sunday offering our insight into the world of fantasy football. We'll also be inviting some of our friends from Sports Illustrated, Yahoo, and DraftKings. Look for us Tuesdays and Thursdays starting in July, wherever you currently listen to your favorite Five Reasons Network podcasts. Welcome back to Three Yards for Carry. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Alfredo Artiaga, Chris Kaufman. We are in segment five, uh, and it's the first preseason game of the Dolphins season. First game since what feels like about 1997 in terms of the, the fact that you know the off season is so long. But we are ready to go, pretty much. What are we thinking? How we how, how do we see this playing out? How much are we going to see Ryan Tannehill? What are our expectations? Do we really care who wins and loses the game? It's not really about wins and losses at this point. What are some of the things that you're expecting to see? Okay, I'd like to see uh, Minka Fitzpatrick play with the first team a little bit. Now, it's my understanding that they're going to play maybe two series, maybe a quarter. And Tannehill is expected to play the first series. So, I guess on offense, you know, I just want to see everybody get healthy. You know, if they drive right down the field and score a touchdown, that'd be great. But, you know, I want to see where they line Mike Kosecki up, you know, how they run their offense. Are they in 11 personnel? Are they in 12 personnel? I'd be interested to see if they make the red zone, if the first play is, again, another play in 11 personnel with Kosecki in motion. So I'd like to see all of those things, but i also like to see what the, the rotation at defensive end is for that first quarter, if they are going to play that defense the entire first quarter. If they do that, I like to see who plays on which downs. And past that, I guess we're going to see Mink, a lot of Minka Fitzpatrick because he's captaining the second team, which is going to be kind of cool that we get to see in the first preseason game. We get to see a rookie that we're really, really interested in play a whole lot. And I would say if he's second team and he's essentially calling all the signals for the second team, mm. you know, it could mean he plays into the third quarter. 
So that could be interesting. And there's there's some young players too. Like you know, I, I want to see Steinmetz play. You know, he's flashed a lot in in preseason and well, not in preseason, and I would say in camp. And you know, I want to see if Gavin Escobar, who you know, who's also flashed as a bottom of the roster tight end, if he's going to continue to play play well. Yeah, there's a lot to look at. Isaiah Ford, I don't know if he's going to play. He says he will play. So him and David Fails should have a hookup because they're both on second team. So there's a lot to lot to watch tomorrow and a lot to be interested about. I think Minka Fitzpatrick's going to play quite a bit. I, that's that's just a theory. I, I, don't, I know that he's going to be important for the season and he's going to play a lot for the season, but I wouldn't be surprised if you look down at the snap sheet and Minka Fitzpatrick played like 50 snaps in the game or something like that. Yeah, I think he'll play a lot too. I mean, uh, what have you got to lose, right? I mean, what yeah. do you think about Raycon McMillan? How do you think he'll... I think he'll be managed. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, um, you know, sort of off air. Uh, but he's, you know, he's coming back a serious, from a serious injury himself. And, uh, and so I think that he might, even though you would want to see him play a ton, right, just to try and see what he has, I think he might actually be managed. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think um, I think from what I've been told, the knee has um, reacted perfectly well. I think it's swollen up a couple of times, as these things tend to do. And I think he has been managed a little bit in camp. Um, I know that Mike Hole played some time at, in his spot. Mm-hmm. I think it was more because the knee was a little bit tender, not not tender, you know, it just swollen up a little bit, and they just wanted to manage it um, because ultimately, really. You know, he is making the calls. He's doing everything that that he was doing last year, except that apparently the game is slowed right down for him now, even though he's not really been on the field for for two seasons. Ultimately, um, but I think it's a smart it's a smart play to keep him, you know, to keep him under control and, and a little bit managed, given the bigger picture, the long game, which is regular season football. Let me ask you guys something that that I noticed also in in, in training camp. Uh, Raquan McMillan hasn't played very much with the nickel if at all, in the practices I've mm. seen. Do you think that's part of the management? I think it's part of the, isn't it part more of the three safety setup, really? Isn't it? Mm, I don't think so, because they haven't gone to that much. In, really? In, so they yeah, haven't yeah. had situations where McDonald, Jones, and Fitzpatrick have been on the field at the same time? They never made the field together on Thursday and Friday. Let me ask you who who has been out there. Um, Kiko Nicole, Alonso uh, and Stefan Anthony. Really? Mm-hmm. Those I mean, have been that, the two guys, consistently. That, that gives me the fear straight off. It, it does. That's. I mean, I mean seriously, that's, that's. I don't have good feelings about no. that. And it, but it does. It does sort of fit a little bit. You know, I. We hear things from different people, and you know, different people have different tones and, and different point of views. Uh, some people that I hear things from that are a little bit more negative, and, and sort of I try to you know understand it and take it in that context. Uh, they've said that Raekwon has not necessarily been stellar, um, and and maybe maybe that could be what they're getting at is that he's not being used as much in nickel as you would you would otherwise think. But I, I agree with Simon that to hear that it's Kiko and Stefan Anthony, which is essentially the same answer as it was last year mm-hmm. uh, in nickel, when the Dolphins had a terrible run defense. Uh, in nickel it was one of the and were terrible in third and five to third and ten they were i think the last last team in the league in uh conversion allowing conversions on third and five to third and ten you know that's that's depressing but um i i know that is going to be 
it is i mean it, it is early and and we are going to see a lot of those linebackers in the preseason game so i think that that's something to look forward to because jerome baker's going to be out there and i know that he was given a purpose which was to shut down the tight end in nickel but really it the receivers, that's that's the intrigue, right? I mean, we have so many of different receiving options, um, and I'd like to see all of them. I'd particularly like to see Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. I just wonder if Adam Gase, you know, to be, in his own words, an asshole, mm-hmm. um, if he's going to kind of pull back on Mike Gesicki and Albert Wilson and just not let us see how he's going to use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting and, and highly frustrating. But, um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that I would, and I'll get your guys' thoughts on this. I know, Alf, we were, we were talking about this earlier, and, and your point is uh, well stated that we need to see more before we start going overboard with conclusions on this. But given the way the game was officiated last week, the Hall of Fame game with Baltimore and Chicago, and the rule changes that took effect at the owners' meeting about illegal helmet use and, um, and unnecessary roughness, and so I want to see one of the top things I want to see in this game is not even necessarily the Dolphins players, but how the officials are going to officiate the game. Yeah. I want to see if they're going to if they're going to continue that, because I'll tell you what uh, they 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 called some unnecessary roughness in particular on guys on Baltimore with tight ends over the middle. And we're going back to Gesicki love. Right. Um, but the. They're no longer allowed to separate the receiver from the ball at all. You know, and if you think about that, because it used to be, listen, you could you could you have to be careful. You can't use your helmet, you can't use the crown of your head, and you certainly can't hit them at the top of the head. Uh, but if you do it right, then you can still separate the receiver from the ball over the middle. And this is the primary way that you deter the offense from using the deep middle uh but in this game they did it textbook they did it absolutely textbook and they were flagged for it and they were flagged for going after the receiver and trying to separate him from the ball and miami just drafted a six foot six inch guy who who was the best pass catching tight end in the draft and he has a 42 inch vertical and uh, you know he won 75% 75% of his contested catches at Penn State and, and so he's a he's a rebounder over the middle and if suddenly the only thing a defense can do mm-hmm. is either try and knock the ball away or uh, just wait for him to catch it and then tackle him uh, then then he could explode for some production this year and not just in the end zone so I'll be looking at the officiating and the other thing is you know Miami has a bunch of you know kind of uh, Mickey Mouse wide receivers. Now they got these run after catch five foot eight, five foot seven agility guys. And the other thing they were calling in the game was if you lower your head at all, lower your pad level at all to go for the tackle on the ball carrier, you're in strong danger of getting called for this illegal helmet use penalty. And I don't know, go do yourself a favor, go watch some highlight films of Albert Wilson Go watch some highlight films of Jakeem Grant and Danny Amendola and, and just ring a bell every time you see a defender, you know, go low and, you know, lower his head, lower his pads to go for the shot on those guys. Every single time that that happens, there could be a penalty flag in our favor. And, and that so suddenly you're like, well, wait a minute, maybe Miami is positioned pretty well 
to take advantage of these rule changes if it if the landscape really has changed as much as it looks like they have. Which is interesting because the the first time you play football as a youth or in high school or in the 140s or in peewees, the first thing you hear is that football is a sport about the lowest man winning. Mm-hmm. So now it's not about the lowest man winning. So I guess it's kind of good to have the lowest man in every collision, which the Dolphins are almost guaranteed to have. If you look at if you look at who they're going to line up with, look at the average height of the receivers unit. Uh, you know, it used to be you don't get these small guys because they're you know this is a man's game. They hit really hard. These guys don't survive. You yeah. know, they're not going to stay healthy. Uh, but now they're they're protecting them as much as they do quarterbacks. So now it's like they're protected. Now you can get the small, you know, fast agility type, run after catch types, and Miami has plenty of them now. And I, Lewis Riddick, and this is the final point I'll make on this uh, before we hit to Twitter questions, I think. Lewis Riddick, who's a well-respected mind in football, worked for NFL front offices, I, I think, believe he's a former player. Um, he, he talked about this. He's been big on this these rule changes and saying that the there's going to be an offensive explosion as a result. He's also pointed out that the only thing a defense can do to try to stem the tide is to collect pass rushers, collect as many pass rushers as you can, to try and disrupt the play at the quarterback level, whether it's sacking him or, or pressuring him or, or uh, drawing a holding penalty. Um, that's the only thing you can do because the rule changes are going to make it really hard to play defense out there. And one of the only, I mean, one of the biggest moves, probably the only big move that Miami made on defense mm-hmm. before the draft and drafting Minka Fitzpatrick was swapping out Indomitian Sue, uh, a dominant inside player, for Robert Quinn, a pure pass rusher. Yeah. And so you wonder if, I, I don't know if my, this is luck or you know skill or whatever, it, or planning or what, but uh, Miami does have a bunch of pass rushers. That's, what they, that's one of the things they do have, right? Cameron Wake and Charles Harris and Robert Quinn and uh-huh. William Hayes and, um, and, and Andre Branch, if he's, if he's healthy. Uh, so you know, their position both on offense and maybe even on defense to try and take advantage of this. Well, we're going to get into Twitter questions right now. But before we do, I kind of have like some breaking news. Uh, the Sporting News, Simon, respected, you know, respected, respected publication. You would agree, right? Mm. Definitely. Okay. I thought our breaking news was going to be that Simon fell asleep. <laughs> Okay, well, the Sporting News, you know, uh, their subhead says the essential source for all things sports. This is going to be shit. Since 1886. That's a long time, right? Well, they have just released, and I have it right here. I'm staring at it, okay? Their rankings of the best uniforms in the NFL. Take a guess where they rank the Dolphins uniforms, the ones that we very much like, which seem to be kind of a throwback to what we wore in the 80s and early 90s. 74th. Every, close. Everywhere else is ranking us 32nd or 30th on everything, okay. uh, whether it's fan base or whatever. So I'm just going to go with that. Okay. They have us as the 31st worst <laughs> uniform in the NFL. Only the Bears have a worse uniform. Ouch. Okay. Let's just get into At least they're consistent. Yes. Yeah. Everybody hates us. Okay. Let's just, you know, let's just get that out of the, out of the way. All right. Let's get into some Twitter questions. All right. And this first one is, uh, I guess I'll take this one. Okay. 
It's from GTH at GTH829C. And he writes, at three yards per carry. And he's evidently a doctor because he says, why do asses look so good in scrubs since it's completely counterintuitive? That's an actual question. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I'm giving up valuable sleep time. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. Well, I'll answer it for him. Okay. It's because of the fabric it's, it's... and the detergent that causes static cling, sir. So it allows for better definition. Next question. <laughs> okay. All right. Simon, E-Rod. what do you think about him for your uh, for your scouting? Next, next question. <laughs> Erod at FinFan2003, and he writes at three yards per carry. Who becomes the emotional leader, tone setter on this team now with Jarvis Landry gone? Simon? Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Next question. <laughs> Chris? I think on defense, I, you know, I would, say, I would say keep an eye on actually Bobby McCain because the way he talks in practice, I think he's taken on a real leadership role on that defense. So I'd, I'd watch out for him. Okay. I would say that uh, Walt Aikens has been extremely vocal in practice, especially with the special teams units. And I mean, he's never going to get up the field in, in, in defensively, though. Yeah. yeah. But it, he has great energy. Uh, and he's also, evidently, a fan of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast because he likes. Uh, give him a shout out. Look at you. Yes. He likes and retweets our posts. Okay. I know our audience. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Good evening, Walt. How are you? Liberty. All over that. <laughs> At least junior. two out of three of us were fans of you coming out of college. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And the final question is from Lloyd Helbrun At Lloyd, Lloyd Helbrun, who was a sponsor on the show. And he writes, at three yards per carry, should Tannehill play more than the normal starters amount in preseason to knock off more than the normal rust that he might have? Mm. Good question. Simon. Mm. When you started saying the question, I was thinking no. When you got to the end of the question, I was thinking yes. I suspect he'll play quite a lot in game three. He may play into the third quarter in game three, but generally I doubt it. I just think it's too much of a risk, I think. I mean, you know, he's going to get an awful lot of reps and he's getting an awful lot of reps in practice. I just don't see the the benefit particularly of keeping out there when, you know, you, he might get... You know, he could get hit by an undrafted free agent pushing to get a team who just so happens to roll up on his leg. Do you know what I mean? It's just some of the potential yeah. risk. I, I just don't see the risk reward. Risk reward. I think that because you have because you have arguments going both ways, uh, such strong arguments going both ways, that um, the way to go is is you're just going to look at precedent. So I like clockwork. You're going to see him play exactly as much as you expect starters to play in the preseason you know one quarter and then you know maybe one and a half quarters and then uh the first half and the third game the first half plus a drive you know that's usually the what they do and then nothing in the fourth uh the fourth game i think they're going to reach for exact precedent formulaic it's um because nobody's going to want to go out on a limb and have them play too much and then you know he gets injured, or he gets injured, and then uh, and everybody's criticizing you. And on the other hand, you not have him play enough, and then you have a slow start, and everybody's criticizing you for the rust that he has. Uh, I think they're just going to do it by the book. And I'll chime in here uh, in the scrimmage. He played one series with the second team, and that was the series where Robert Quinn almost decapitated him. So I would say not. I would say look for a guy that you know is being managed, is an older guy, he's being counted on, 
look at his snap count, and that should be Ryan Tannehill's snap count. So I say Josh Sitton. Josh Sitton, mm. whatever snaps he plays, those are the snaps that Ryan Tannehill plays in the preseason. All right? That's it. There is no more. We encourage you to listen to all the podcasts on the network. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.